I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to IntroVets Podcast. What up? Today, we have a special guest. Dr. Nobles got her Doctor of Veterinary Medicine from Auburn University in 2009. She completed a small animal rotating internship and an emergency critical care internship prior to completing a residency in emergency and critical care. She did that residency at Blue Pearl Veterinary Partners in Tampa, Florida, and she went on to become a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care in 2015. Dr. Nobles is passionate about using ultrasound as an extension of every physical exam. I hope we really talk about that because I am also passionate about that. (laughs) And she hopes to share that enthusiasm with as many veterinarians as possible. Dr. Nobles, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. We're so excited. Um, We like to try to have a variety of guests on. So when I saw that, you know, you're visiting Huntsville for a little bit, we got so excited. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. I just listened to your podcast with uh, Uh, Dr. Plunkett. So, oh, yeah. yeah, Oh, great. (laughs) I was jealous. Oh, (laughs) well, thank goodness we were able to get you on. Now, I was trying to remember, Dr. Nobles, like when we met, and I know it was before vet school, right? Like it was. Oh, absolutely. We've known each other a long time. Pre-vet, like, like Bronk and Bridal Club type yes. years. I mean, that's yes. I don't <laughs> a wanna, long time. I don't want to age us, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm going to say like early 2000s. Yes. I won't yes. say any number, but. Yeah. <laughs> So like, we've known each other for a hot minute. Right. And then I was thinking back and I was like, that, I mean, we worked in the parasitology lab together, right? Yes, we did. Like I was I having we, these flashbacks to flea combing dogs and counting the, the fleas, you know, for a, for a flea study. And I was like, Jacqueline was helping me flea comb those dogs. I was there. Like we've been in the trenches together. together. Yeah. That's I right. Mean, when people, you know, you think about what people do to go to vet school. And I just think, you know, nobody's done this. <laughs> nope. Bonding over parasites. Oh, man. That was the craziest thing. And I mean, I feel like it's been a long time, so it's probably OK to talk about it. But, you know, it's a, a study on flea preventatives. And so as part of that, we literally had to set a timer. It was like a 10-minute timer where you're sitting there, two people to each dog, and you're constantly flea-combing the dog for a 10-minute period of time and counting how many fleas you pick off. And if you, if you, um, like something like within the last two minutes of that 10-minute period, if you found any fleas, you had to set an extra one-minute timer. It was like, oh my God. And the control, doing the control dogs, like you didn't know because it was a blinded study, but you knew. But you know you what knew. I'm saying? 100%. Like, some of these dogs have got one flea on them and some of them got like 57, you know, <laughs> just like, I can't. <laughs> oh man, it was so hot too. Oh yeah. That, I remember that. That, I mean, mm. it, it was terribly hot. It was so hot that like I talked to Jamie, who, you, you know, she runs the lab. And I was mm-hmm. like, Jamie, so, so you've got to, like, how is this funded? <laughs> and she was telling me it's like funded with spray. I was like, well, we need to talk to Dr. Blackburn about the, the temperature of the, because, you know, we, d- we did it out in the, uh, the kennels, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. The ones at, like connected to the multipurpose lab. Yeah. But mm-hmm. so, so, but, but they finally purchased this, this air conditioner, albeit not great, but um, it yeah. did, it did provide some relief. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I'm having now. I'm having like I'm gonna get traumatized. I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my eyes start to twitch. Okay. <laughs> oh Lord. So anyway, and also Jacqueline comes from a very small town in Alabama that's kind of famous, Monroeville, uh, home of Harper Lee. Ooh, that's right. And my father-in-law, the other Dr. Grider, still lives in Monroeville and practices in Monroeville. So we know each other that way as well. Yeah, my mother uh, keeps asking when I'm going to move home. And, uh, <laughs> and take over Dr. Greider's practice. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, <laughs> she but she just keeps on asking. Oh, I just no. keep on telling her. <laughs> probably not anytime soon. So uh, what made you decide to pursue emergency medicine? When I initially started vet school, I had this this dream maybe that I would be this rural mixed animal practitioner. And I guess I began to develop some self-awareness during vet school. And I quickly realized that I was going to struggle, at least internally, with not knowing as much as I could to, to treat the patients. Okay. So, and I think that it knowing the and having the skill level to do it across multiple species, although we are taught that, I, I kind of came to a realization that I, I, I could, you know, you can't know everything. And then, you know, you come to a level, well, am I competent enough to do this and do it well and proficiently? And I was like, you know what? I don't know if I can do that. And so I remember walking into to ICU uh, on clinics and it, you know, there's just the, the, the utter chaos of, of, the, of the ICU. I was immediately attracted to that. Must be like childhood trauma or something. But you know, <laughs> I, I, I identified with that, that environment and the, the variety of cases and uh, how, how rewarding it was to see some of these patients actually make it out of the hospital. You know, um, that, that's really what attracted me to that and it and I knew it would always present a level of challenge that would would keep me interested and engaged which I knew I also needed so providing that really high level of care was really important to you and it sounds like you kind of realized at a certain point it's difficult to provide that super high level of care across so many different species that yeah that, that's exactly it and I I, um, I also, I, I just, the thought of, of working alone, I, I, you know, so many people do it and I admire them, but I, I I didn't think that I would do, do well as a, just a solo practitioner. Um, and it's funny me saying these words now, because I always, (laughs) I always tell people, I'm not a high maintenance, you know, doctor. And my texts are always like, are you sure? (laughs) And, 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 um, and thankfully, I guess that was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, but I, I just didn't, didn't think I would do well in that environment. And, and I, I actually have come to, I guess, accept that I'm a, higher maintenance individual than I initially, um, I guess, wanted to believe. So um, <laughs> I, I do, I, I enjoy high, high level, um, high quality medicine and, and doing things that some people would, you know, just think, oh, this is a little bit out of the box, but mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of where our, our college was born. The other night we had a somebody called and their goat was sick, you know, and I I was like, well, yeah, I mean, they've got to come in. The little goat was anemic. And I was like, well, we're just going to give it some blood. That's all. And, uh, but you know, I didn't realize, you know, that's not something we do every day. And, you know, in a small animal specialty hospital, but you know, we made it work and, and he did great. So I, I do tend to push the envelope with, with things that, uh, I think, you know, add a little bit of stress, but they're also fun. It's <laughs> always fun to treat any sort of farm animal on emergency. How did you get goat blood on emergency in <laughs> oh, Huntsville, Alabama? Had the owner go get one of his goats. Okay, that. a different goat. I <laughs> yeah. got you. He brought, <laughs> he just brought both goats. Here's the yeah. sick we, one we, and the well one. We, well, we had, we had three goats. Three, okay. <laughs> yeah, because okay. you okay. always want to bring a spare. <laughs> I've done this before. So just in case the, the one has bad veins or that one's anemic too. Because that one could be anemic too. Yeah. yeah. Did they do they have intestinal parasites? Oh yeah. I mean I, mm. yeah, I think that was a, a major problem. And and you know, we we transfused the so we drew the blood and then trans transfused the little goat. He did great. He went home and 
I was really hoping he was he was going to get a established with with someone to to get a uh, some sort of herd health maintenance program, but the goat showed back up about four weeks later for the same problem. No. <laughs> oh, so, no. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I will say I absolutely love goats. I love them. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I it's been a long time now since I've done any type of learning about goats. I mean... Now it's been a embarrassingly long time since I had a goat medicine topic or dealt with them or anything. The one thing that I remember, like my main takeaway from goat medicine was like, it has parasites. Like it's, <laughs> it's parasites. Like it's just 90% of the time, parasites. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, so um, you mentioned uh, in the notes that you really are drawn to emergency medicine because you feel like it has a strong overlap with internal medicine can you talk a, a little bit more about that like it, oh, internal yeah. medicine is one of your passions yeah i'd say internal medicines was is was my first love and i really contemplated becoming a internal medicine specialist but it wasn't enough for me i, I felt that i would become complacent and uh you, you know i just it, it i didn't think it would fulfill me long term I, the pace of emergency and critical care was much more my speed. But I, I do, I believe this, and I believe this to be true for all veterinarians, specialists, and non, you know, before you can be in, you, you got to be a good internist really before you can be good at anything. You got to know the medicine and, um, and, and, and the pathophysiology. And, and so I, I, I still very much love good internal medicine cases. I am not a fan of like in-depth, um, atypical Cushing's or um, things that they're, you know, those, those types of cases are definitely for an internal medicine specialist, but, you know, I mean, we, we see a lot of diabetics and, and um, hyperthyroid cats, even um, undiagnosed hyperthyroid cats yeah. and renal disease. And, and so there, there is a lot of, a lot of overlap and, um, and I, I do enjoy both aspects, but I, I much more enjoy the pace of, of emergency and critical care. So with, uh, with emergency medicine, it sounds like you were really able to kind of do both things, use that internal medicine background that you love, but also really keep up this quick pace and maybe also not, um, have like the really, really long-term follow-ups. It's like, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Like we got it. We fixed it. Now we're out the door. Bye. You know? Yeah, it, okay. that's true. I still try to follow up on my cases though, because I, that's one thing that served me well, knowing the outcome and how they're doing, um, really teaches you a lot. And, and I've, I've always tried to do that. Um, and another thing, you know, I knew that with internal medicine, I would never do any any sort of surgery or uh, any sort of maybe anything that involves cutting. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't quite want to give that up. Um, and I thought that, that that was another good reason to pursue emergency. Ultimately, you decided to pursue emergency critical care, and you did go ahead and, and do a residency. How do you think that the residency prepared you for working in the ER versus your, you know, just your regular, regular, your typical DVM degree? And uh, how do you feel about veterinarians working in emergency who aren't boarded? Those are, those are great questions. The For myself, the the residency I believe was necessary and and um, has served me well for not only my knowledge base, my skill set, but a lot of times just learning, you know, whether it was your case or someone else's case, what not to do. Mm. Um, you also during that period will grow as a doctor and and also start to recognize some of your limitations because you you will be humbled um, often. And during that process, and I do believe that it's very important to recognize what you can do and what you shouldn't do. Right. So I really, I really enjoyed my residency. I was did a, a private practice residency. Yeah. 
we had a, a great hospital with with all the the specialists, and I, I I have such fond memories of of my residency, my resident mates, and and learning together as a group, and um, and I I think that it would serve anyone well that was thinking about pursuing emergency medicine, you know, because you you start to see certain cases and. And once you learn that, and this is also true for, for individuals that don't do it, but you can, I think the thing with doing a residency, you know, you become fairly proficient and, and you're able to move cases um, with a pace that, that you would take you much longer if you haven't seen and done that before. So I, I really think that there are the, the residency behooves you in, in multiple ways. With that said, you know, some of the most talented, uh, intelligent veterinarians I've ever worked with are, are non-boarded emergency doctors. And I certainly don't think that residency is a, a requirement to work emergency. Um, I, I do, again, I do think that if you've been through a residency program uh, that it would make you more proficient and maybe for an individual that that um, you know because it, it's it gets so busy especially now that you can become overwhelmed quickly now that's not true for everyone but I do you know any individual can become overwhelmed it's just a a, a matter of time and so, I, I, you know, I always encourage um, younger uh, vet students to to consider it, if if not a residency, at least a, an internship, because I believe that would would really prepare them well for uh, for starting out entering emergency from day one. I had never worked emergency until like 2019. I want to say. I mean, it is a different world <laughs> you know <laughs> when hvse opened they needed veterinarians you know to help staff the er one of the ways that i was fortunate was that i was able to kind of come in and learn about an er setting in a situation where the practice was newer and so the caseload was maybe not as extreme yeah. as it could have been right <laughs> um i think when i like the the day that i went to shadow it was completely dead. Like it was quiet. And the veterinarian there was like, it has been dead all day. I don't understand why, but like we have seen like five patients, you know, in this yeah. whole Saturday. I mean, if you can imagine that. And I was like, oh man, like that sounds crazy. But, and then of course, because stupid bullshit always happens uh, when I'm working anywhere, as people that work with me can tell you. Like, <laughs> so the next week, I worked and whereas they had seen like five cases the Saturday before, or however many, it was like a very low number. It was like, oh, you set the record for the, <laughs> for the most number of cases ever, like 22 or oh, something wow. like that. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know like, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but, but it was, it was really nice because, you know, uh, it was still like a smaller staff. It was a smaller um, draw. You know, and yeah. a lot of those cases were like what I would consider to be like level one emergency <laughs> rather than level 10. So, yeah, right? gotcha. <laughs> you know, yeah. And then as I continued to work, then it would get to the point where it's like, oh man, I can't keep the board cleared. You know, like now it's like triage after triage after triage. And so you're absolutely right that it can be a really overwhelming environment. And I think ultimately, probably not the one that I thrive in sure. the most, but still. I mean, I learned a ton from working emergency, like a ton. I tell people all the time, you you wanna you wanna learn the most, make good money or possibly the, the best money that you can make and 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 have, you know, good hours. And what I mean by that is you work twelve shifts a month as opposed to sixteen or twenty, you know, then go work ER because right. you're gonna learn more than 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 you you ever thought you could, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna push you beyond any level, and it'll either push you out or <laughs> or you'll you know you'll 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 find your your um, your niche and and get stuck. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, man, I mean, it, I learned so much and I had fun. Like, I always, um, when I would be driving back late, because, you know, ER is a little bit different from general practice. It's like you're signing up for X shift and it's X number of hours. That doesn't mean that you leave. Then. Oh, it's no. like, no, it's that's Hotel when you California. Stop yeah. Patients. Now yeah. we've got three hours of notes to do, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So I would often be driving back quite late to my house. And so I, my mom's retired. I always call my mom uh, when I was driving home late. And um, I would be like, She'd be like, well, what did you see? And I'd be like, this and this. And then we saw a gunshot wound. And I pulled a steak knife out of a dog. And then this one was bloated. And then this one had a hemangiosarcoma that had ruptured. And then like, and it's like stuff that in general practice, maybe you see one of those a month or something. Yeah. I- but you saw them all in your same shift. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, I mean, it is major growth and I would always talk with her and she would say like when I talk to you after you go to these shifts you sound energized and excited and everything like that and I'm like I think it's just like my adrenaline is still up right now (laughs) like don't get me wrong I had a good time but like uh but it is difficult you know and uh but like worth it because you learn a lot you do you learn a, a ton you learn a ton I had to sort of step away for a little bit because of some, you know, chronic disease that I have going on and I'm just not feeling a hundred percent right now. So yeah. I had to kind of say like emergency, like I'm having to sleep for two days to like get over my shifts. <laughs> like that's not gonna work. So <laughs> I need to kind of take a step back and take care of my health for a little bit. But but man, it was valuable, like super valuable to to be in that environment for sure. Yeah. yeah you also can you also really, you know, if you want to know what somebody's made of Work an ER shift with them. Mm-hmm. That'll, that'll tell you oh, a lot yeah. about that person. I mean, because <laughs> it, you know, like you, like you said, I mean, some nights are just like, it is an absolute dumpster fire shit show. And, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, I mean, but it's fun. It, it's fun. And, you know, I, the older I get, you know, the, the longer it takes me to, to kind of bounce back if I've been here for 15 hours, but right. <laughs> but uh, I'm hoping I can maintain it for, for quite a while longer. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then um, have you ever thought about teaching? Cause that's an Avenue. I know um, you were in veterinary school with Dougie McIntyre when she was still yes. with us, right? Yes. She had, and I, I didn't even ever have Dr. McIntyre, for like a formal rotation. You know what I'm saying? But like Really? Yeah, because I don't remember who was on emergency critical care when I rotated through, but it wasn't her, it was uh, some other clinician. I, it's probably telling that I don't even remember the name of that clinician, <laughs> but I remember Dougie. Yeah. You know, you spend so much time in emergency critical care on neurology, on I mean <laughs> uh, oncology, on orthopedics, like you just see you're just always in emergency critical care yeah. or this was back before they rebuilt the hospital, you know, and it was just like the little room in the end of the hallway. Yeah, oh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. She taught me so much and I still have her book. Like, even though yeah. I don't work ER every day, I take her book with me to every shift that I have. I don't care if it's general practice, wellness only, but I use that sucker more than any other book. Because yeah. hers is like, it's in an outline format and it's like, Number one, stop panicking. (laughs) Number two, do the next really basic thing. And I'm like, yeah, this is what I need. Okay. Like I need like, number one, quit panicking. Great. Number two, give the epinephrine, you know, like. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think that her text is is really a valuable one to have, especially on the floor. Um, That's the manual. It's the manual of I think it's like the okay. manual of small animal emergency See. medicine and critical care. Yeah. Cause it's something like that. Yeah. And there's a second edition that's come out, but I, I do really think that's, that's valuable to have. I mean, the small animal emergency and critical care, Silverstein and Hopper. It's great. I mean, fantastic book. Um, but it on the fly, if you're looking something up or you need quick information, which is 100% always the case. Uh, then you need, then you, it's nice to have that book, but you know, it, it was a pleasure working with her cause she, you know, she was double boarded in medicine and critical care. And, yeah. um, I think the first veterinarian to pass the critical care emergency exam, but, um, oh, really? 
Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. And no, me neither. But I the so so because of that, um, I think that we, you know, we kept all of the IMHAs, the ITPs, the uh, you know, the caseload was was high. And um, and I, I mean that you know, I remember my first rotation, I I had IMHA, uh, uh polyradiculoneuritis, um, all of these cases that, you know, you just, I knew I would never see that in, in general practice, you know, and I was just fascinated by it. Um, and, and really what we could do for them and, and seeing them get better and walk out of the hospital. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a shame that, uh, that we lost her. Yeah. But she was such a, such a wonderful teacher and, and kind soul. So I hate you missed out on that. You should ask Auburn for a refund. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to take that phone call. <laughs> I agree with what you were saying about, uh, I think you mentioned like IMHA specifically, like in general practice, obviously we see those cases, but right. I think what you were getting at is like the level of care that we can provide in general practice is much different than what can be provided in an emergency critical care setting or even in an internal medicine setting. Like just because the, just because of the resources that we have access to, I mean. And staff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You mentioned that residency taught you a lot about what not to do. We as veterinarians had to walk a really like a tightrope between pushing ourselves to develop skills and recognizing when something is beyond our skill. Yes. And it's tough, you know, that can be really difficult, especially if you're experiencing pressure from maybe a boss or pressure from sometimes pet owners are the ones applying pressure. Oh, so it's, 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 it's on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it's some of it even starts in, in veterinary school. I can, I can remember um, one clinician and I remember him saying, if I'm doing my job, then you don't need me. Meaning if you're, you know, if I taught you, then, you know, you got this, you're good to go. I wish that were true. Uh, you know, you know, uh, and, and if cases, if the cases we saw read the textbook every time and there were no complications, I think that would be true, but we don't, you know, that's just not reality. And, um, and we, we, we really, we really do, though. We, we, we tear ourselves apart trying to help patients, especially when clients maybe don't have the finances to, to transfer. And, yeah. and then you get into a situation where you say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to try, try this procedure. I, I haven't done it before, but, but we can try. And that's, you know what, I never want anyone to lose that. That trying is is important as long as you recognize that, you know, we could still not have a good outcome here, and that the clinician can see that case globally. And what I mean is, from every side, and you know, the really the you know where we're going to be over the fence. So, and I think that takes time for a clinician to develop. Um, I know it has for me. But some, you're right, some of these procedures you, you shouldn't do, you know, like, like you don't have the staff, you don't have the equipment. And inevitably, if it's the first time you're doing it, much like me setting up the podcast tonight, <laughs> you may run into a complication, okay? Right. And you don't want to do that, uh, you know, when you don't have a, a support group or a plan B around. So in the end, you can end up doing this procedure, spending the client's money and, and not having a good outcome. And, and maybe it was best to just refer it in the first place, you know, or just have a, an honest conversation with them and say, Hey, you know, I, I could do this, but the likelihood of us having a positive outcome is questionable. So, and I, I, I truly believe every veterinarian does, does that. I believe they, they, you know, they try to pair their clients and, and, and do absolutely what's in the best interest of the, 
of the the patient and the client. But it they I do think that they should not expect themselves to to be able to do absolutely every single procedure uh, and know you know every single um, treatment method. And, whereas the the clientele expect that. And yeah. I think that's where it becomes so difficult and frustrating for veterinarians um, to to sustain practice because of that struggle. Yeah. It's so funny that we kind of wandered off onto this topic because I was, I mean, I, I literally have said to my therapist before, pet owners want to take their animals to a place where they can get everything from a mani-pedi to brain surgery in one location. And she was like, I think that's true. As a pet owner, I think that's true. And I was like, but do you also see like how that's not like what? <laughs> like what? What? Like what? That's impossible for one person or a small group of people to have that. You know, no, like this, I, that's I not know. a thing. And like you can't do that. Look, that's <laughs> look, look, that's one of the reasons that specialty medicine and emergency continues to thrive. Yeah. Okay, and and especially you know it's it's much more um, um, under a microscope with the pandemic. But I have a friend; she just she's baffled by the fact that 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 we are so busy in emergency medicine. And and I told her, I said, look, I mean, the pets are you know not only they're part of the family and. They're all emotional support animals. Okay, I don't care what anybody. You don't even right. have they, the owner doesn't even have to tell me that. Okay, <laughs> that is that is they they're all emotional support animals because you know people don't have as many kids anymore and and, and their pets are their kids and you know for some people um, that it's the only it's truly the only companion they have and so you know if you look at the at the mental health of America. I mean, it's continuously declined, and um, I think the pandemic showed us that and, and where we are with that. But you know, veterinary medicine has soared, and and it'll continue to do that because people truly rely on their pets for. People rely more on their pets for some more emotional support than their pets rely on their owners for emotional support, and I think that's true. That is a hundred percent true. I had to tell a lady the other night that. Her dog was going to be just fine without her. It was it was actually her emotions that were getting in the way of, of treating her pet. Did you tell her that? Yeah. How'd that go? <laughs> it went well. She she left her her pet and it got treated. okay. Yeah, like mm. I just like they're like because they tell me all the time. Oh my gosh, he's never spent a night without me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, oh yeah. I uh-huh. said, well, if you want him to spend another night with you. You're going to let him spend the night with me tonight. God, that's just so amazing. See, like the one thing that I've always really admired about Jacqueline is her ability to like really tell you how the fuck it is without being like, hey, fuck you. This is how it is. She just, she can just be like, hey, no. And people are like, okay. Yeah, but I try to do it in, in a really, I really try to turn my Southern accent on. Yeah. And, and that that has been a saving grace for uh-huh. me throughout the years because it's it's much better received with with uh with that tone and accent yeah she came pre-programmed with not nice that's right (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you know that and 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 clients expectations i don't care what people say their expectations continue to rise and look i i am 100% 100% an advocate for continuing to advance and improve standard of care. And I honestly, I believe that, that we are doing a good job across the board uh, as, as, as veterinarians. But we, on some level, I, I do think that, you know, I think to myself, have we created, have we contributed to creating these expectations? How have we catered to clientele? Uh, to, to, to support that. And, um, you know, you're, you're running a business at the end of the day. So you, you, you do have to cater to your clients and some do it better than others, but 
I, that, I think that's just part of it. And, and you're right. They want a one-stop shop. In uh, some places they can get that. Uh, it's not, not the norm, but right. <laughs> uh, you know, some places they can, they can achieve that. There's some things that you can make so much worse by trying to help when you don't have the skill. I mean, that goes back to learning about what not to do. And you hit the nail on the head with that last statement. I mean, you can cause, you know, you, you can Damage. make things worse. And, oh, yeah. and we, we certainly, in all cases, first do no harm. Just the other day, I had I had an owner put a lot of pressure on me to do something that I thought was inappropriate. And I stood my ground and they got mad. But you know what? At the end of the day, I have to be able to sleep at night. And if I'd have done what it was that they wanted me to do and anything had gone wrong, I I wouldn't have slept for weeks. You know, right. like I and I, I at this point in my life, I'm just like, no, I need the sleep. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I can't like, I'm not going to do that. You might find another vet that will. OK, great for them. But I I am not the person that you need to help you with this. Yeah, and you, and you shouldn't struggle with that. Um, oh, I do though, girl. I know. I, know, <laughs> I do. I do. I do. I know, I do. But, and I, but and I'm I, working I, on it in therapy. Yeah, I mean, I have to. I have to because I, I always wanted to do everything. But you realize at the end of the day, it, me doing that procedure is actually not what's best for the pet and best for the the patient. The client just wants to believe that. Right. And yeah. Or they want to make it easy, quick, cheap, whatever. But yeah, but there's, there's no, there's just at the end of the day, just like anything else in life, there's no cutting corners. Mm -mm. And and when you do inevitably, you're going to run into complications, which are often catastrophic. So it uh, doesn't behoove anyone to, to take that path. No. Well, too, I mean, if you're looking at, both of you guys' education and knowledge and experience versus the client's knowledge and experience, who's better equipped to make the decision? That's what I would try to explain sometimes <laughs> to my coworkers that are like, oh, we'll do whatever they want. And I'm like, no, is that really the good, best idea? Because like, no. Can I give you the client's phone number, JJ? Will you explain that? <laughs> Please explain that. Lord, Please I Please explain that to me. To them. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> So what challenges are unique to emergency medicine and what are the benefits of emergency medicine over other veterinary career options? Well, those are, those are almost like two episodes. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, much like general practice, um, the, the challenges in ER are, are similar. There's, there's staffing, uh, which is a, a, probably one of the biggest, biggest challenges there, especially for a 24 hour facility. And, um, and, you know, maintaining that staff or retaining that staff is, is I think harder in, in emergency medicine because it's emergency is, and, and, and again, I'm not saying it's any harder, but it, the hours and, a lot of times that the clients be, because of the situation um, are, are a little bit more taxing. So emotionally and physically, you know, ER does take uh, a little bit more of a toll on you than other areas of practice. And I don't necessarily think that's a negative. The, the, the key to knowing that information is that it's probably not something, you know, I can do for 25 years. So, um, you know, I think that's the key there. I'd say the average livelihood on a, on a emergency clinician is, is about five to seven years. And, um, I think part of that is burnout. Part of that is, is there, you know, you have a, you want to have a family and, um, the hours are just not suitable for that. So it, it does make it challenging to retain emergency veterinarians and technicians and assistants and receptionists. Um, there's also, you know, emergency facilities tend to be the, you know, you you can't really say no, you can't say no and you can't fire a client. So you, you have to, you you know, you have to deal with, with everything. It's like government work, you know, 
you got to deal with with all of them. And so I do think that that the, those are, are challenges that maybe you don't don't have to deal with in in general practice. Um, with that said, it does make it exciting, like getting to call the cops in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know that it does make it fun. Um, oh, no. <laughs> or like you know, uh, you know, you you get some client like you get some clients where you barter. Like I took a guy's car title one time. You know, as 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 collateral for for payment. Turns Asterisk, out, not turns out you should not, you know don't do not that. approved at all facilities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I was just like I've been watching a lot of Pawn Stars. Like he, he didn't have he didn't have like all you know the the deposit, and I was like, well, what do you drive? And he's oh, like, my God. he's like. It wasn't even a nice car. It's like a 1993 BMW. It's like, you have that title? I'll take that. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we used to have these like satellites from the Tampa hospital. And and I was over in Brandon and somebody called me like, hey, somebody took somebody's car title as, as a deposit. And they knew exactly who it was, mm-hmm. I, which I don't have a reputation for that, but... <laughs> It, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I will say that you, you do have a lot of fun. You get to work with, um, wonderful technicians that, that really the technical staff, that my technicians and the assistants, they're the success of the hospital, any hospital you're in. And, and that, is, that's true across the board, um, as actually has little to do with, with us and, and mostly to do with, with our technical staff. And then you'd ask about benefits. Well, I really tell young veterinarians or young vet students that if they want to have the best hours, make the most money and learn the most, go work emergency. And, and that is true. Uh, at least it's been for, for myself and, and anyone I've given that advice to thus far. Um, you can, I mean, right now you can write your ticket. I mean, that's true. It, it, you can, you can make the, the most money and, and, um, and live well working emergency. Uh, you, I think also the benefit there is, is working in, in larger hospitals with multiple specialists and interns. And there in those facilities, there's a lot of opportunity for learning and, the emergency clinicians were you know, always welcome in that process. And um, the, the case variety and the cases that you see, you, you will really, really be able to, um, to learn things that you can't learn anywhere else. So that, that would be, the, the, for me, one of the, the biggest benefits is that, that ability to learn things that I couldn't get elsewhere. What do you recommend for continuing education for veterinarians who would like to try out emergency work? Uh, you know, the IVEX is uh, the International um, Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care Conference. I think that's always a, a really good conference that has some wet labs um, that, that are beneficial. They're, you know, Greg Lissandrio always teaches um, a fast and T fast. We'll, we'll be doing that in September in Nashville. Um, there are some smaller conferences that, such as the International Point of Care Ultrasound Society. We we have a conference every couple of years where you actually get to to come in and and we have scan time. Oh wow! And uh, I, you know, I really like the the conferences and continuing education. Um, that offers hands-on in smaller groups because I think that that you're able to retain more and actually hopefully use it when you get back. So those those would be two of the the conferences I would look into. And those are unfortunately I don't really know of. of there, I'm sure there are plenty of other conferences, but um, just going in, like you said, just going in and shadowing. Um, an emergency clinician or, or working alongside them, uh, I think would also be a, 
a great learning opportunity. Definitely. Definitely. I was hoping that we would get to talk about point of care ultrasound a little bit more. But... Yeah, and uh, me too. I mean, I, I yeah. love, I, I was thinking the other day, I, I, you know, could I, could I practice without it? I, Ooh, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. I well, but what I want to do it. Right. Like and would, like, could I do it? Yes. But is it what I like, is it the it. level that I want to provide? Is that yeah. what you mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I mean, the, the answer is, is no. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I just, I, I, you know, I, I just, it, it's, they can't talk to us and we can sit here and, and guess and look at x-rays that are often unhelpful, or you can just get the ultrasound out and probably get an answer. And so, yeah, I am. Um, I love ultrasound. I just think it's so fascinating that, that we can use something to look on the inside and, and, you know, you can see everything. And I just, I've always been fascinated by it. And I have, um, I've, anything I could learn about ultrasound, I, you know, I've always, I was, th- I was blessed to that radiologist during my residency and, and for us to get get training there, um, but they, um, you know, they do as far as as ultrasound courses. Um, even and I would encourage people even beyond point of care ultrasound. Um, I think Sound has some fairly good courses in Arlington, Texas. Uh, they're like three and four day courses, and you know, I I, I can't stress it enough. I, I truly believe everyone can ultrasound. Uh, I say that because oftentimes I speak with practitioners that that don't ultrasound, and I'm like, "Well, do you do surgery?" Yeah. Well, I've never killed anything with the ultrasound. <laughs> like, That's true. Like, I'm just putting it out there. Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, you you're not wrong. It is a non-invasive test, and I mean, you can catch some some really important stuff. I mean, all yeah, yeah. Yeah. I practiced in my first job, I practiced five, six years without an ultrasound machine. And then when I went to um, my next associate position, they had an ultrasound machine and I used it pretty routinely. But then I went to the Association of Feline Practitioners Conference. I don't remember what (laughs) year it was, JJ, but Mm -hmm. JJ and I went together. And I went to this talk about uh, fast. So focused abdominal assessment and I don't remember exactly the acronym. Sonography anyway, for fast. trauma. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and then TFAST and then what they call vet blue, which is kind of like both of them together, kind of. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I have never heard this before. And this does seem weirdly easy, you know, and <laughs> then I went to uh, like the next talk was an emergency critical care talk um, by um, I forget her name, but it's the 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 lady who does the vet girl podcast. Oh, Justine Lee. Justine Lee. Yeah. yeah. So she was like, and like then on this distant cat, we're going to just pop the ultrasound. Oh, now I'm seeing this. So now I know exactly what to do. And I'm like, what? Like, ha- what? I-, I feel like I was never taught this, you know, like you weren't not in veterinary school. Right. So <laughs> I immediately like took that back. And then the next week, the next week I had a dysnic animal come in. I was able to do the T fast and be like, this is wet lung. And look at the, you know, uh, the clinical picture and the animal, you know, had a long history of a heart murmur. And I was able to like feel confident giving it for us and put an oxygen without, cause the dog was going to die if we yeah. tried to position it for x-rays. Okay. This yeah, dog was yeah. going to die and we saved it. And I was like, holy crap. Like I have <laughs> never taken something from CE and applied it that it's a game changer. Right. It was like concrete application right away. Like it, not easy. I mean, but easy, you know, like it was like, yeah. instead of something I have to study for months and really no, like make sure I understand it. You just have to it, do it. Just do it. <laughs> and you so just now, have to do it. When I go to places that don't have an ultrasound machine, you're right. I feel like I'm almost naked, you know, where oh. I'm like, oh. God, if I had an ultrasound machine, I could fix it. You know, like yeah. I would know. I would know I- for sure. <laughs> you know? No, like I um I I don't I I say I don't get riled up often. The staff may argue that, but uh. <laughs> if the ultrasound is broken or there oh. or the the ultrasound 
if there's any problem with the ultrasound, because I ran into this recently, I mean, there was a meltdown. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is substandard for me not to be able to to offer my, my patients that diagnostic modality because it does save lives. I mean, it saves that ultrasound machine is the best piece of equipment in any veterinary hospital and it, it saves lives every day. And I just, I, 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 I'm so, so thankful that, that, um, that I was able to, to get that training. And, and I, I, you know, it's funny that I don't, I guess they teach more ultrasound in school now, but we did have an ultrasound course, mm-hmm. but, um, and then there was like an elective, like a cl- elective clinical rotation. Yeah. I took that, but, but it was an elective, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, a, it, was an elective. it was required. No, no, no. Um, but the amount of time you spent on x-rays and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to say right now, abdominal x-rays. And I mean, even chest x-rays, I'm like, I, sometimes, I mean, yeah. like it's a, <laughs> It's a crapshoot. I mean, I was. Oh man, especially old time, like non-digital. What do you call them? Analog or what? (laughs) I thought you you were going for dip tanks. And uh, well, some people still have dip tanks in this day and age. If you can flip and believe that, but no, I'm talking about just like I mean, with a processor, but like old timey plain film. Yeah, it just looks like a blur. You know, you're just like, oh my god, I can't (laughs) see anything. Oh. Yeah, I mean, this, t- this took us one hour to achieve these two films, and I can't see anything. The technicians are pissed because they're going to have to position the animal again. The animal's pissed. I'm pissed. Everybody's pissed. Yeah, and like, oh my god, and 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 somebody does that diagnostic, and and charges for it, and I, I mean, come on, people, you can do better. Uh, ultrasound machine. You can do better than that. You yeah. can do better. And, yeah. um, I mean, no, look, my technicians, they, they can diagnose pericardial effusion, pleural effusion, hemoabdomen. I mean, it, it's, it, if you're, it's, what is it? 2021? It's 2021. Yes. The end of 2021. I mean, you can talk on a phone that doesn't have a cord. <laughs> you can, you can, you can, I mean, you can do anything. So let's get the ultrasound out, okay? Every veterinarian needs to get the ultrasound out. It's, it's. If and if you, you do it on every case, you really, really understand what super normal is. Yeah. And you get to charge for it. So you put a little money in your pocket. <laughs> Pay for that ultrasound. That's right. <laughs> you know, let's, let's sell, let's sell the calf jack and, and, you know, some of the other instruments and, and get the, the ultrasound. Did you say the calf jack? Yeah. I don't what know if that? if that exists anymore. Remember, I, I think they used is. to use that large animal okay. to like get the calf out. Oh, I've I actually never delivered a calf. So okay, me neither. I probably shouldn't have used that, but okay. I thought it was funny. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Well, so uh, unfortunately we are out of time for today. So we are going to wrap the episode there, but um hopefully dr nobles is going to be joining us again for sure um because we really enjoyed i really enjoyed it thank you for having me if you have stories cases questions or anything else you'd like for us to read please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com and you can find us on social media or on facebook and instagram at introvets and don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast it really does help and we'll see you next time Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.